This is The Long Run Show with Austin P. Wilson and Michael J. O'Connor. The Long Run Show is brought to you by Benzinga Podcasts for listeners like you. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Long Run Show. I'm Michael O'Connor here with Austin Wilson. And today we're joined by a very special guest today. It's Mark Bell, Chairman and CEO of Terran Orbital. How are you doing today, Mark? I am doing great. And so thank you for having me today. Great to have you. Well, first off the bat, I would love to just learn a little bit about Terran, like the name, the stories around it before we jump into too much long-term stuff. I just, I just want to know about you guys. So uh, Terran Orbital started, I started in 2013, and I started as a vehicle to acquire companies that were working in space. Uh, I'm a lifelong Trekkie, so I was 10 years old, always fascinated with space, always wanted to go to space. Uh, at some point, I realized they weren't putting middle-aged, overweight Jews into space. So I decided to go ahead and start buying companies that I could build things to put into space uh, that don't include myself. And it's been, it's been a dream come true. It is We are now building satellites, and we're solving problems from space. And uh, we're the guys who helped invent the CubeSat. So we're all this whole new space revolution that everybody talks about is all our fault. And uh, so all these new startups and everything else are all there because of the technology that we created a company we bought called Tyvek. That's wild. So because I was about to, oh, sorry, I I see Austin. uh, Austin has a question too, it sounds like, but I right off the bat, kind of the first, the first question I can think of, which you you touched on already, like the the space revolution, since you guys are right in the thick of it, you've kind of started it. When did this begin? Because we see, at least for me, and I think other people in my generation, you know, we see videos of the the space shuttles, and that that kind of felt like the big thing. And then things seem to kind of get sleepy for a while. But it seems like there's been so much going on in the background to make everything that's going on now actually happen. What what's been going on? So uh, two guys, a guy named Dr. Jordi Pugswari, who's a college professor, and Bob Twiggs, who's another college professor about 13 years ago, invented an educational demonstrator called the CubeSat. This was a satellite you could hold in the palm of your hand. And the point was to demonstrate that you don't need to build big satellites to do big things. And if you think about it, you mentioned the space shuttle, your iPhone or Android phone that you hold has more computing power than the space shuttle did. And so you, things have changed dramatically. So you, and so what used to cost a billion dollars to build, you can now do for 10 million. But that was only part of, part of the, and CubeSats cost a lot less. <clears throat> so CubeSats opened the door, but you still had to get these things to orbit. Then came along SpaceX. And SpaceX made it affordable to go to space. So between us making payload, making the satellite cheap and SpaceX making the ride cheap, a whole revolution was created. Of small sets, and now that you hear people talk, the government talks about how fifty thousand satellites are going to get launched over the next ten years. And if you put that in perspective, you maybe have like fourteen thousand satellites launched over the past fifty years. Wow, those are some impressive numbers. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff flying up into space around us. Is is uh, is that going to be a problem? <laughs> that's you know, the, the that's my one is- question. <laughs> The, the good news is there's a lot of space in space. Okay. Cool. <laughs> and think, think of it this way. You have on Earth, you have 40% of the planet is covered by land, the rest by water. You have 3.2 billion cars on, as, on a single plane. In space, you have 43,000 miles of wide. 
that have 40,000 miles of planes. So you have a lot of highways, a lot of roads of space that you could travel. <clears throat> and the only times objects tend to hit each other is when it's intentionally done, when people want to demonstrate you know, how, how smart they are, that they can create space junk. And, uh, and for those of you who are listeners, you know, if you look at the TV show Quark from 1977, you'll get a good laugh, because that was a space, space garbage truck. And that's what we need today to clean up all this trash that these guys created. But there is a, uh, you know, but the, the, it is, everyone says, oh, this is a problem. It's not really a problem. Uh, space situational awareness, which is what's called tracking space garbage, that's the fancy name for it, has become a bigger thing. And the U.S. government's doing a very good job of tracking what's in space. And now there are technologies that we're developing um, that are similar to what airplanes have today. Airplanes have today something called TCAS, or Traffic Collision Avoidance System. <clears throat> so you sit in a cockpit, and if, you're, if, you're, if something's coming, another plane's coming at you, it goes traffic, traffic, and then it tells you what to do. It'll go pull up, pull up. And if you ever hear the words pray, pray, you know it's all over. But no one ever, you ever hear those words. But the goal is on, on a satellite, <laughs> it'll, it'll move. It'll be, it'll, we use a lot of AI. So the satellite will know something's coming. It'll move out of the way. It'll calculate the trajectory, and then it'll move back to where it's supposed to be and do it all on its own without human interaction like they have to do today on the ISS. Gotcha. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, because I'd, I'd heard some some concern. Of course, you gotta you got to have the uh, YouTube sensational videos, right? So I'd, I'd seen one floating around talking about, oh, my gosh, we're going to be shrouded in a in a trash, you know, trash blanket over, over Earth's atmosphere in the next 10 years. And I thought it was pretty sensational. So I figured I would bring that up and ask a real expert because I'm sure if anyone would know, it would be the guy launching all the little satellites into space so that's a that's a reassuring answer to to hear there's solutions to avoid exactly that that issue um i i do want to ask though about the the name as well of of the company terran or orbital is there any anything behind that name i know it has some uh some connotations behind it as a word you know so uh with any company i've started i've always had a naming schema for lack of a better term in this case i went for a science fiction schema Terran is a sci-fi word for earthlings. I mean, right. Terra, I think, is uh, you know the base of the word. I think it's either Latin or Greek or something uh, for Earth. And yeah. so we picked Terran in, in, the, in StarCraft. They use the name Terrans and some movies. There's a TV called Terra Nova, TV show, I mean. And there's lots of reference, sci-fi references over the years. And Predestar, constellation that we're building, was, if you remember the movie Predator. So Predator, mm -hmm. then it got Predator, Predestar. So we try to have some fun as we name things. And, but you'll see, like, our stock symbol is LLAP, Live Long and Prosper. And, uh, and we were very excited the New York Stock Exchange gave it to us. They wouldn't let us put Spock's hand on the side of the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> they, that was a little much. But we thought it was pretty funny, at least. And, uh, and you know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, we try to make it, you know, we, we're, we do very serious work uh, here at Terran Orbital. And we work mostly for the DOD and the IC community. Uh, though we do do some civil work and some commercial work, but we want our people here to have fun and enjoy working here. Right. Yeah. Well, it's also a good way to uh, to get the suits on Wall Street to just kind of loosen up a little bit. I give a little live long and prosper hand signal there on the on the exchange. So that's that's good. It probably brings some levity to the situation. It does. It does, especially with things going on in this world with like Ukraine and everything else. And we've been very active over there helping the Ukrainian government. Uh, we are, you know, thrilled to bring a little, a little bit of smiles to people's, people's faces. Yeah, uh, that's... I, I lost Austin, by the way. Oh, okay. I think he's. Uh... 
He might be I frozen. Don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't view Lawson. That's why I only. only I think, yeah, he looked, he's looking frozen. So we'll just we'll uh, we'll let Asley edit this little chunk out, and then I'll I'll continue, and he should be able to sure. hop back. I just want to make sure you knew who was missing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, so kind of a follow up to that, you know the the idea of it seems like space travel, at least in my opinion, has always been this uh, this thing that gives hope to humanity. It's this thing that sparks curiosity and um it's just it's just this something that people from countries all over the world cultures all over the world love and love to see and experience and think about and you know like talking about things like the ukraine and everything there's so much there's so much bad you know bad press all time all the time in the world Um, but it seems like space flight is one of those things that just gets everyone excited how how did you first get into the industry i mean was it kind of a curiosity thing from a young age, was it like just something that built? Because it seems like something that everyone would love to do. Uh, I, I got very excited about space when I was a kid. Um, it really started when I was 10 years old and uh, got stuck somewhere in a hotel with my dad and it was uh, raining outside and I ended up watching a 24 hour Star Trek marathon. And years later, I had a company called Globix, one of my first companies. And we ran 28,000 miles of fiber around the world as part of the original internet backbone. <clears throat> and we were the world's largest logical peer, and we were the second largest owners of data centers in the world. And we hosted, uh, some, of, we hosted some of Microsoft's original websites, Walmart's original websites. So we hosted about half of the Fortune 50's original websites uh, back in the day. And, um, but we couldn't reach, you know, we, we, and by being the largest logical peer, what I mean is we connected to more networks than anybody else. So we connected to over a thousand ISPs around the planet, but we couldn't reach ISPs in Eastern Europe with fiber. So we started building ground stations and buying satellite transponder space. And that's how we started connecting all these Eastern European ISPs onto the, onto the global internet. And it was very, uh, and that was my first exposure into uh, space. And, ever, and I've been enamored ever since. It's uh, just been exci- an exciting journey. Yeah, definitely get that. What was that? Uh, what was that like? Kind of transitioning to um, in an, in an industry setting, in a practical setting, transitioning to using space to to solve a practical issue. Because uh, it seems like there's there's so much talk around i've heard skeptics be like oh you know we're still decades away from i don't know being able to colonize mars and all those things and that's that's fair but it seems like there's some people who are just kind of pessimistic about space being able to solve real issues in general but it does what's your kind of take on that look at all the things that have been invented that came out of space i mean everything from um god i mean perfect ball bearings uh certain kinds of glass um, you know, I mean, there's this, all these manned missions to space have, cha- have created all these technologies that we use today on a daily basis that don't realize uh, how they're part of our society. And, you know, and so it helps us in a, by innovating. And, you're, and you are right. People, you know, aspire and dream of going to space. They dream of it. <clears throat> we see movies and TV shows, everything, you know, fantasizing about it. And it gives us hope, like you said. But there are problems. We could track global warming. We can watch icebergs in real time, and we can and we can measure the depth of them and measure the decrease of them day by day, hour by hour, if we choose. You can't do that with drones. You can't do that with planes. It's too big. Uh, but you can do it from space. 
and you can do it economically from space. You can measure crop yields from space globally. If you want to figure out where there's going to be famine ahead of time and where you're going to have to move food supplies around, because you'll know in a wheat field how hydrated it is. There's some amazing technologies that just are not economical to do from the air, from airplanes or drones, but are economical to do from space. <clears throat> but it also helps with things like insurance fraud. And you know, we can map out Florida the day before a hurricane, the day after a hurricane, and see whose roofs were missing before the hurricane using AI. Uh, so you there's a lot of things that are good, a lot of good comes out of space. And you know, human space travel is a desire and colonization of the planets and the moon and Mars and and beyond is a desire. And and you we have to you have to imagine there obviously has to be other planets like Earth, Goldilocks planets around the universe. We're not the only ones. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure if the other ones found us, they ran long ago. You know, they went to Washington, they saw, they left, they got scared. But, you know, in general, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of dreaming can go on there. Definitely. Definitely. And, and that's, I think that that is something that so many people have, like you said, have aspired to, to go to space, to see see earth uh from space to you know see the the pale blue dot um and to like the curiosity like we already talked about that that inspires where do you see we've talked a little bit about the past where do you see the the long run of you know we're the long run show we're always talking about the long run where do you see in the long run i mean even even the medium term i'm really curious even just about two to five years but certainly 10 20 years of where Taryn is going and where the industry is going. Yeah, so we look at Taryn, you know, I don't want to be in an industry unless we can be the number one or number two player. And if you look at all the businesses, we this is my fifth unicorn, all the businesses we started in the past, uh, with rare exception, we've been able to be number one or number two. <clears throat> and we strive to do that. We want to do it right. We want to be the best. We want to be different. You know, we want to create barriers to entry in what we do. In this case, we're innovating, becoming technologically superior to other people, and, and we're building something for a very, what used to cost a billion, I could build for 10 million, and I can deliver a higher quality product for phenomenally less money. And so we're, it's not evolutionary, but it's revolutionary, but we're working on becoming, revolutionary was creating the CubeSat that we, that we did here at Tyvek. Evolutionary is what we're doing today at Taren and going ahead and creating products that will continue to get cheaper and smarter and better. And we're going to see you know, more and more applications from space. Today, you're going to see 5G. You know, everyone's saying that that's something everyone's talking about, cell phones from space. Um, you've got, you're going to see, and you see a lot of internet things, Starlink. You know, everyone's getting, everyone wants to write internet bandwidth from space. But you're going to see that bandwidth is starting off slow, and then it's going to get very fast. It's just like today. I remember when Globix, we used to sell a 1.54 megabit connection at for $999 a month to companies. Today, I got 2.5 gigabits of Google Fiber in my home for you know $99 a month. <clears throat> it, it's, a, it's a whole different world. And you're going to see that in space. The images today you get from space are, um, you know, they're great, but they're going to get phenomenally better. You're going to see uh, more and more uh, interesting images and more detailed, and eventually you'll be able to just take a selfie from space. You'll be able to look up, say, take a picture of me, you sitting in the football game, and I'll take a picture of you and text it to your phone. That's technologically very doable. It's just about if somebody wanted to spend the money to do it. But that's something that's totally doable. 
those are some some wild applications there, Mark. And I, 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 it brings up some interesting questions for me. I, if you haven't noticed yet, Mike tends to be of the two of us a, a bit more on the, uh, the the positive end. I tend to be a little more skeptical most of the time. So you know, my my trash comment earlier, and and then uh, also I have another one coming up here. A question for you in in almost more the negative light, but with with uh, so so excuse that i guess is is my preface there um but with all of this this basically mapping of the earth and like you just said being able to take a selfie from space which is a crazy idea um what are the what are the kind of um issues from a privacy and ethical standpoint that you have to think through when we're when we're talking about taking pictures and mapping, you know, people's property, because obviously we have the the rules where your your property lines don't extend vertically upward, right? They, they only go up so high, right? So where's the where's the privacy kind of layer come into effect? I, I know we've seen some interesting situations with drones, but satellites is just that's a whole nother whole nother level it seems because you have a lot more, I guess. Um, ability to see things you may not be able to see in any other way which again not saying Taryn is out to do bad things but there are plenty of bad people in the world right <laughs> so how do we how do we think about this kind of moving forward as we as we kind of map earth from space i guess well well, well we work for the good people in the world <clears throat> so, which is good uh, so we'll that you know but you bring up a very good question you know there are lots of laws out there to what we can and can't do and when we can and can't image, uh, there are lots of laws today that pr to protect U.S. citizens, um, not necessarily global citizens. Uh, but it is a, you know, as a, they control resolution. So the resolution we can image and the resolution we're allowed to sell are two different things. So we can sell, okay. we can image super high resolution, you know, mm -hmm. you know we, we can, but we can't sell that to the public. So they, they and that's for national security reasons. Uh, otherwise, we'd just be reading the text on your phone as you type. And so, <laughs> so you know, it is a, um, you know, so it does bring up, uh, you know, some interesting um, questions on privacy. You know, I have a, you know, I have a friend who accidentally got taken a picture on a, uh, from a satellite of him laying out in his backyard. And uh, so we started a picture. We laughed very hard. <laughs> and he, he was almost laughing. And, uh, but you know, it's, uh, you know, it is, it is going to be as more and more of these imaging satellites go up there, there's going to have to be some sort of regulation to protect your privacy, because if you're out in your backyard sunbathing, and let's say you were going for no tan lines, you don't want that picture ending up on Google <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, but I'm sure, and I'm sure everybody would be imaging every pool in Vegas if they could do that. Uh, <laughs> so there are, you know, privacy issues abound. And it's going to be, you know, there will be some more regulations. I think drones right now are the bigger problem because you can't, if they go over your property, you can't shoot them down. You can't take them down. You can't shut them down. You can't even put a drone net up. You know, you can't, it's a, it's a real privacy issue of uh, having, having drones over your property. And that right now is a much bigger issue from space than from space. And uh, listen, I, I mean, I see drones buzzing around all the time where I live and, you know, we don't like it, but there's nothing we can do about it right now. Right. Yeah, it it is interesting. It's it's when we get into these new spaces, and this is this is we've talked about this in crypto. Mike and I have. It's just interesting. Like you get into a space where humans haven't really had to think about these problems before. You know, we haven't really been able to just 
like hover above someone's property before. It's it presents these interesting uh, interesting problems to to think through. But on the on the positive side, like you were saying, it also presents solutions that we haven't ever imagined, like the the whole crop issue and and being able to predict. Okay, we're gonna have a have an issue with supply of food over here. Let's move some food around. Let's make sure this country sells to this country to, to make sure they're they're taken care of. That that's something where I, I think it seems like the the positives could outweigh the the um the the cons. And I guess even though I am somewhat skeptical sometimes or or can be less positive than uh, than Mike, I do think in the long run, I mean we're our human ingenuity is pretty astounding. I mean, I mean, the fact that they took a, a satellite and made it into a cube that is a little bigger than a, a large Rubik's cube, that's kind of wild to me. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm sure we can solve these issues. So uh, <clears throat> I, I believe, I, I always tell people, you know, the privacy issue does come up a lot. And I tell people, just don't do anything wrong. It, it, don't do anything you don't want to see on the cover of the New York Post. And you're doing okay. And uh, <laughs> as long as that, and that's my metric and that's how I live my life. As long as I don't care if it ends up on the cover of the New York Post, it's okay. And uh, so you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, you know, you do the right thing. And uh, that that is, um, you know, because there's no reason why you should be doing something wrong. And uh, just right. live your life and be in, you know, and you know, you know, we have a lot of freedoms in this country. You should enjoy them. Kind of touching off of that, and and we mentioned a little bit of you know the situation in Ukraine right now. But that, for me, looking at space and going from like individual privacy and the individual's perspective, zooming out to, I mean, we've kind of we've never really, at least since, you know, since decades at this point, we never really had um, as intense of a possibility of conflict uh, between two space powers, you know, astronauts from both Russia and the U.S. and the ISS. So it's like, what what do you think is is there the capability for space war in the future? I mean, it's all sci-fi and everything, but it's it's something that definitely uh, seems to be interesting, especially now that conflict is a little more sadly normalized. Um, I don't know what do, what are your perspectives on the future of space uh, defense? I guess. Well, you said space war first, and you said space defense, <clears throat> so we'll tackle it from both sides. You know, and you know, we have a very, very sophisticated military that's doing some very, very sophisticated things, and we live a we live a very blessed life here in, in the United States because it's all the things that don't happen that you never read about, that you never hear about, right. is what allows you to live your life. Because if you knew everything that was going on, you'd never go to a shopping mall, you'd never go to a restaurant. And you, know, and you probably would leave the country. But the reality is because of the phenomenal job that the U.S. government does in protecting us, it is that we are able to leave the life that we lead. And that's on the defense side. On the war side, I'm sure there's somebody somewhere deep in the Pentagon building, trying to figure out how to build a Death Star. I totally see it happening. <laughs> it's just, you know, somebody there has got to be creative enough to say, hey, you know, we just build a battleship in space. And, and that's it. But the reality is nobody wants, there's no such thing as winning a war. Everybody loses at the end of the day. Both sides lose. There's no such thing as a winner. Uh, no matter no matter what the outcome is. War, everybody loses. And uh, and what's going on right now is incredibly unfortunate uh, in the Ukraine. 
because there really was no need for it. And, you know, <clears throat> and, you know, all these people are dying for no reason. And uh, cause it's not making the world a better place. It's just just destroying part of the planet. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's the problem. And, but, you know, we have, you, we, we, I would like to think the human race is becoming more evolved, but obviously not. And, uh, but, you know, we, we, the, the space is becoming a contested domain, just like the Chinese are building on all these islands in the South Pacific. <clears throat> and it's taken, you know, Ukraine has taken away the China-Taiwan conversation. But, you know, if, you know, the, if the Europeans, you know, you know, really got their act together and cut off Norsk 1 and bit the bullet and cut off Russia's supply of cash, then all of a sudden, you know, there'd be some real economic sanctions with some real power. We're still, they're still paying billions of dollars a year to the Russians and funding their, their, their uh, military attack. Cut off their money and they'll stop. And, but the U.S. The, the, the Germans don't want to do that. And because uh, they, they, they can't, because they're too reliant on it. And so they're too reliant on it because it's wintertime. You know, maybe they're waiting for summertime in order to stop a war, which is ridiculous. Um, but, you know, we have, um, you know, in the U.S., you know, the Chinese economy relies on us. But the Chinese have, been, you know, have never really, have never been aggressors. You had a peaceful handover of Hong Kong. You know, there could be people arguing about the uh, freedoms and everything. But overall, it was a peaceful handover. Then the military, you know, the lease expired for the British and the Chinese moved in. But that was, but it's their island. They were able to do that. <clears throat> Same thing with Macau. Uh, you know, Taiwan's a different story. Um, but I am hoping that there will be a peaceful resolution at some point in the future and not a conflict uh, which would decimate the island. Yeah, it's interesting. You were you're saying, you know, I, I like to think that uh, humans are are more evolved, and and it is an interesting <laughs> hole to run down. But you mentioned earlier that you know, even if we, even if we are or are not, that's a that's a totally separate question. Um, if there were other life forms out there on other Goldilocks planets, and they found us first, you think that they would just would r- run away and hightail away? I tend to agree with you. I think maybe Mike would. Maybe Mike would have a different opinion. Uh, I don't. What, what's your opinion on that, Mike? <laughs> uh, ever the optimist. Maybe I am. I mean, I hope they'd uh, say hello or something. But I guess we'll drop us a little we, hint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah if, if, if I if I was smart enough to travel light years from Earth and I found this shit the shit storm going on, I'd go right back and be like, yeah, let's not go there. You know, there there are better planets to go visit. Uh, so- <clears throat> So my my question is underlying that people are always asking this question: Are there other Earths out there? And you seem you you hinted you seem to think there there are, and there could be very intelligent life forms out there as well. Um, I am super open to the possibility. I would love to think that there's aliens out there we could interact with. I don't know if they would want to interact with us, but what is what is your uh, you know after launching lots of lots of things into space and studying space? What is your kind of thought process on that? In in whole, it's pure. It's pure odds. It's like going to Vegas and gambling at a roulette table. You know, mm. there are only so many numbers, and you know you're going to win. There are so many planets, so many suns, and you only need a, a planet a certain distance from a sun to have a Goldilocks planet to have the right heat temperature <clears throat> for uh, for things to be able to grow. Now, keep in mind, Earth is very young compared to the rest of the universe, and as a civilization, we're very young. So there could be civilizations that are millions of years old that are hyper sophisticated. Or ones that never got sophisticated. But there has to be somebody and other people that are out there. Uh, and they're not just going to come here and bring us their dry cleaning. <laughs> that's, that's an old Woody Allen joke from years ago. <laughs> but they are, uh, there is a, um, 
you know, I mean, it just statistically speaking, there has to be other things going on. But, you know, be careful what you wish for. I mean, right. they could bring a common, their, their common cold could be a deadly virus to us. You know, they could be you know, the friendliest people on earth. You know, we, we always make movies that they're always hostile because that's what sells tickets. You never have a movie <laughs> that they're all friendly and you're happy go lucky. And, you know, they don't have, they have utopia, but, you know, that would be nice. And uh, they're just happy-go-lucky people that just want to hang out and hang and have fun. Um, but then again, you know, we uh, yeah, it's, it's the unknown, you know. And then then when again and again, I go back and you know, go, I look at what goes on in DC, and I'm like, ah, oh, they're already here. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think that's what I could agree on. Too. <laughs> a lot of wild characters out there, that's for sure. Yeah. Sometimes they feel uh, foreign to foreign to our planet too. Yeah, it's it's interesting. <laughs> I always think of I always think of the Twilight Zone episode uh, to serve man. Have you seen the Twilight Zone uh, where it's they're they're all the aliens come down and they're very nice and they provide all of these ways to just fix society and they're everyone's all the people are going to the alien planet and they're all getting eaten <laughs> it's, it's a cookbook the whole time so it's there, all... there's a great uh sony sony pictures did a great short called the chub chubs if any of our li- you listeners want to download it's like a four minute video with these little furry furry little funny creatures that just eat you and uh but they're very they're very cute uh until they eat you and uh so it's, it's a very funny video funny so i i have to bring it back down to earth here to use a to use a good pun i'm sure you've never heard that one mark um so you guys just just went public and it, and i believe it was through a spac is that correct we did we did we, we decided there are three you know as you know there are three ways to go public do an ipo a direct listing or a spac yep. uh with a spac we and we've done and i did a spac before my SPAC was in 2007 called Enterprise Acquisition. It's a $250 million SPAC. We de-SPAC'd in 2009 with 90% redemptions into a, into a company that today is Armor, ARR in the New York Stock Exchange. And, and um, uh, with, uh, with Armor on a $25 million beginning equity base, uh, that's where we started off. We've paid out over $1.8 billion of dividends. And uh, and returned on the seven million dollar promote returned returned a significant portion to the promote, so it was uh, hundreds of millions to the promote. So we did a we created a very good structure that was good for everybody and shows how SPACs can work and uh, and be prop and work out. So in our case, if we had tried to do an IPO on February twenty fourth, we would have had what's called a market out, meaning all the book would have evaporated. We've had that happen. I once tried to price a deal on the day of the Greek debt crisis. And we had a market out that day, didn't go public. And we wanted certainty of close. We created a a unique $250 million uh, exit financing arrangement with uh, Francisco Partners, uh, Beachpoint Capital, AE Industrial, Lockheed Martin, and others that allowed, guaranteed we would have a positive DSPAC, which is what we did. And now we're no longer a SPAC. We never want to hear that four-letter word again. And (laughs) it has been, they they, they have a very bad rap, uh, but the rap, I keep reminding people, it's just because they bought bad targets. It's all about the company they're merging with. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with the vehicle. Interesting. Yeah, you were you were doing specs. You said two thousand seven was the first 
Yeah. So you were doing them way before they were cool. <laughs> they were cool in 2020 and 2021. And that was the hip thing to do was, oh, yeah, we're going to go through public through a spec. So, really? yeah, it, clearly it can be done. And it just needs to be done the right way. Correct. And, and but it's all about the target. So the, oh, there are all these companies that are merging into SPACs that never should have gone public, <clears throat> especially all these new space companies that don't have a re- don't have real revenues. They don't have a real backlog. Don't have real management. They don't have a real pipeline. You know, they don't have real customers. They just have an idea. That's called venture capital, and they should never have been allowed to merge into a SPAC. And, and of course, they're all missing their numbers. They're all their hat. They're being investigated by the SEC, rightfully so. You know, they are, it's just, you know, they never, this, you know, there should have been rules to allow companies like that. In our case, you know, we announced uh, over $200 million in new business. We are, uh, we are, we announced we beat our numbers for last year. I think we're the first space back to be actually beat their numbers. And uh, so we are continuing to, uh, continuing to fly ahead on, our, on warp speed and uh, we're doing uh, exceptionally well. And, uh, and we continue to build our business at a rapid pace. What do you what do you think is it that sets apart, you know, the successful space companies? Because it's it I think it was mind boggling for me to see the rise of SpaceX, how it went from an idea to real in it seemed like a very short time, especially if you look back at, you know, very old legacy Lockheed Martin, like you mentioned, uh, or are other companies that have you know been in aerospace for a long time? It's amazing to see companies come into the the space realm, which is kind of this incredibly capital intensive you know space and succeed what what do you think is what separates the ones that do succeed from the ones that you know don't hit the numbers so let's take spacex as an example so while it seems like a short time time flies elon started it 20 years ago it is it is 20 years in the making and everyone forgets in the early days of spacex a lot of things used to blow up and a lot of things used to crash but he stuck with it and he innovated <coughs> and he kept building. So then you know, look, I look at Turn Orbital. We started it you know, over 10 years ago and we stuck with it and we kept innovating and we kept going. And so we are, you know, it's, it's a, you learn from your experience and, you know, you, we're not, we're not, just, and you, you hear all these startups he, and he's still private. And people are, people you know, would always tell me that I should have stayed private. And I should have enjoyed the being private, but we are in like Elon. We're in a capital intensive business, uh, but because of our business that we're in, it's not very sexy in terms of talking about our customer programs, talking about what we do, because we do do a lot of work for the national security. So it's not like we can tell you, oh, we're building this really cool satellite. And, you know, and I can see I can see you laying in bed and how many people are laying in bed with you kind of thing. You know, you can't do stuff like that. And uh, so we're trying very hard to, um, uh, you know, we thought the public markets give us a bit easier access to capital to continue to expand our business. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I also wanted to ask you, I know you mentioned, and, and I don't know if it was when I was kind of researching beforehand or if we talked about this before, but um, you mentioned that you're you're the ones building the satellites, right? The the CubeSats, and then um, no, we, don't, we don't build CubeSats anymore. We haven't built a CubeSat okay. in years. Those are okay. long. Got it. Okay, so you're building the satellites, though, not no, not I, not I build satellites. The CubeSats. Yeah, we build satellites now. I'm oh, sorry about that. We, we build satellites now the size of your refrigerator in your house. That's okay. a typical gotcha. Gotcha. But you're not the you're not actually building the the rocket that launches that into space. Is that correct? 
No, Elon does a very good job of that. Okay. So we let, we let, we let him build, he builds the rockets, we build the satellites. It's a very symbiotic <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. So the the question I was I was going to ask is when it comes to launching other things, I know this is kind of not, not necessarily specific to what Taryn is doing, but just with your experience, when it comes to launching other things like human beings, I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, human launches that were not, you know, super, they, they didn't go very far into space, but they were definitely, you know, out into space uh, through Blue Origin, through SpaceX. When it comes to those those types of things, just space travel for humans, not necessarily launching technology up there. What do you what do you think about the kind of the long run um, outlook for for you know say Mike or I hopping on a hopping on a space shuttle and going up and, and looking at looking down at Earth? What what do you what do you see? Do you think that's just going to remain kind of this elite class thing, or or do you think that's going to become a little bit more democratized? Uh, do you think it could? I mean, the, the numbers behind it are kind of hard. I mean, I, I think the uh, space travel, you know, the cost will continue, will continue to decrease. So it'll mm -hmm. become more accessible to people. But when you say travel, you know, right now you're on the road to nowhere because you go up, right. you go back. <laughs> so they need to build like a, a like a restaurant in space or something cool like that where you can get out, <laughs> go at lunch, then come back. At least it's a destination. Right. And, and the reality is it's going to happen. You know, someone's going to build a space station, a privatized space station, and some guy then they're going to get David Grutman from Miami who's going to build a restaurant on it because he already knows he's doing <laughs> hospitality on another space thing. So he's going to go build a rest restaurant and it's on a space station, and he's going to make it hip and he's going to put a nightclub in there too. And then you're going to have a then you're going to have a real party. You know, live, live Miami in space, and uh, <laughs> uh, we're trying to you know, but it's going to be you know, it's going to you, those are probably things in the realm of reality. Uh, mm -hmm. the realm of, you know, you know, going to the moon for vacation, that's a long, long way away. And to the right. Mars for vacation, that's probably not in our lifetime. Um, mm -hmm. But in orbit, yeah, I think, I think as the costs go down, you'll see people spending money and you're seeing your wealthy people like, like Elon, like Bezos and others are able to afford and fund building private space stations. And then they got to figure out how to, how to turn it into a revenue generator. I, I think that's a great point to bring up because it seems like the idea of colonizing or I mean, I think, you know, like you said, we're, we're, we're pretty far away from because I think people forget just how far even just the moon, how far away the moon physically is from the Earth and Mars, especially it is it is very far. And I think people can fall into a tendency to forget just, I mean, how much potential there is in orbit. I mean, that seems like a really, maybe an overlooked, untapped idea. Is, is that kind of what you sense from a lot of people? You know, I think there's a lot of opportunity in space, but you also have to remember, space is dangerous. The odds of you coming back, you, the odds of you coming back are not great. And that is, that's the scary part. Space is still a very dangerous thing. You know, they haven't made it, it's not as dangerous as your car. It's still more dangerous than your car. It's not, you know, when you think about it, the drive to the airport is more dangerous than getting on the plane, even though everyone thinks flying is dangerous. Right. You have a better chance of dying on the way to the airport than flying on a plane. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're know, going to space is very dangerous. It's going to come down, but, uh, you know, it's going to become less and less, more and more risk free. But, you know, you're still, you know, strapping yourselves to a, you know, you know, a few million pounds of, of fuel and uh someone's lighting a match and you're wishing yourself luck <laughs> you know it's uh that's a, that's a risk that's a, that's a, it's quite a ride but still it's you're sitting on a big gas tank and sometimes they go boom 
but it, they uh, but they will make it safer, just like they made cars safer, and they will, you know, it's going to happen. And uh, and then that's when things start to get really exciting. Yeah, it it seems like there's uh, a lot to look forward to as far as the the, the long run of, of space, and a lot to lot to think about too, as far as you know, how do we how do we work through some of the problems we talked about, and also what are the amazing possibilities? It seems like they're almost almost endless. I'm sure there's some endpoint to some of these, but you know, there, there's a lot of solutions you can provide by getting essentially eyes in the sky, but more eyes in the space, I guess. Um, so it for our for our listeners who are kind of looking at this uh area of of the capital markets obviously it's a it's a hot topic it's always fun to talk about space and space travel but for our listeners how should they be kind of thinking i mean obviously this is not we don't give financial advice here but we like to kind of think okay how how can we be thinking about space travel about space businesses um like you said it costs a lot of money just to to put someone and or something up into space right now so it needs to be there needs to be some sort of from a business standpoint there needs to be some sort of revenue driver there right yep. um and you guys are doing it from the defense side it sounds like a bit but there's also you know other companies looking to do to supplement what you're doing right elon musk is building the rockets so there's a lot of different ways to create revenue how how should we think about that from a business perspective this whole space area well part of it is you know the innovation from space you know, things like scratch-resistant lenses, ear thermometers, shoe insoles, invisible braces for your teeth, cordless tools, tap water filters, memory foam, you know, satellite navigation, all came about from things in space. There was a company called Made in Space that we had invested in that was on the ISS that actually made things in space. You know, so there is lots of things in space that come out uh, ingenuity-wise, there's lots of opportunities to build things in a zero G environment that you can't build in a gravity environment. Like I mentioned earlier, per perfect ball bearings. You have no gravity. You know, mm. so there's certain things you can manufacture in space that's easier and cheaper to manufacture on Earth. It's just getting it back and forth right now is the expensive part, but they'll fit out the that cost will come down eventually. Um, you know, it's there's lots of innovate there's innovation and there's a science, basic science or learning more about our planet. You know, as we're able to watch our planet in real time, we'll learn a lot more about weather. We'll learn a lot more about global warming and how it's affecting us. You know, we build more and more kinds of sensors to study our Earth. And, um, you know, and, you know, the goal is to you know, stop famine, you know, to uh, figure out when storms are coming, you know, sooner, uh, to do better weather tracking. Uh, you know, it's the, the, the list is endless, what can be done from space. And that turns into dollars for businesses. You have people like us that are creating businesses that are we're enabling companies and we're enabling the governments uh, to go ahead and solve problems from space that you couldn't do economically before. Yeah, it sounds like there's, again, a lot of possibilities. I didn't even think about manufacturing in space. That would be totally different than manufacturing with gravity. I, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of just blowing my mind right here. <laughs> Zero gravity would, would be a completely different. You'd be able to... to build completely differently and i'm sure probably like you said things that you couldn't build here on earth where you have to deal with gravity because that that has to be factored into everything yeah. um, that's that's very interesting well it's it's great to hear that uh that you have such a, a positive view you keep saying all right it's gonna get cheaper the costs are gonna come down and i i you know have to agree with you it seems seems like just what we've seen 
um, at least in my lifetime, and I'm, I'm not that old. Uh, what we've seen is just it's spectacular as far as the the ability for, you know, things to be gotten into space and come back. Sometimes they blow up, like you said, but most of the time not. <laughs> um, yeah. And and that that sort of uh, long run optimism, I think, can definitely definitely help with with this innovation. here. I mean, it's pretty mind boggling to think that not I mean, just flight in general is so new. Like it, I, I remember seeing a, a, a chart like showing human progress and it's like the Wright brothers. And then it's like, oh, first space launch is like very, very shortly <laughs> after in the grand scheme of things, which is mind boggling. And I kind of I, th- I think I'd say uh, as we're kind of running a little bit low on time here, I do have one question that I really want to ask, which is I've heard a lot of people draw comparisons to computing and how, you know, we've seen computational technology gets smaller and more powerful. And I've heard people, you know, say, okay, the space is going to be similar. It's going to go on this kind of this upward trajectory. Do you see that as kind of a good analogy or is it different? You know, is it, um, is it more complex? And it's going to take longer to kind of move up that slope. I think you're now seeing things moving at a very, very rapid trajectory because people are and governments are investing a lot of money to make it happen. Uh, before there wasn't a lot of investment that went on to make things change. Everybody was happy for 50 years with the status quo. Now it's everything's changing and everybody's, everyone realizes you can actually do a lot more, a lot cheaper and a lot faster. And uh, we're seeing, you know, I visited a time when you'll literally be able to order a satellite on Monday and get it on Friday. And uh, you know, that, that is, that is a desire of many to have satellites on demand. Wow. That that's incredible, Mark. Thank you so much for infusing at least me and I think you, Austin as well with some optimism <laughs> on the long run of space. And it's just incredible to to even just think about. Great. Well, th- thank you very much for having me today, gentlemen. It's really been a pleasure, folks. You, this has been the Long Run Show with Mark Bell, Chairman and CEO of Terran Orbital. Go check out Terran and all the amazing stuff that they're doing. This is Michael O'Connor and Austin Wilson from the Long Run Show. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.